0: Welcome to Terrifying Questions and How Not to Be Terrified by Them, a uh, philosophy comedy podcast. Uh, I'm Eric Kaplan. I'm a philosopher and comedy writer based in Hollywood.
1: And I am Taylor Carman, and I'm a philosophy professor at Barnard College, Columbia University, which is in New York. And uh, we are here to talk about a terrifying question and what is it?
0: Okay. The terrifying question for today is, is faith good? Is it good? Yeah. But but I just want to tell you something about where we are. Yeah. Not uh, New, it's not New York. We're in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hmm. We're visiting uh, the American Society of Existentialist Phenomenology. And we're very fortunate, and you're very fortunate, because we have a collection of people who've devoted their lives to philosophical depth. Mm. So they're experts at being deep. Wow. <laughs> and and that's really good. You don't get and. that on other podcasts. You usually don't get this on our podcast. Now there's like a, a powerful amount of depth in the room.
1: There certainly is. And it uh, goes without saying, maybe by now, but as you can hear from the giggling and tittering in the background, that we are recording this. This is our very first recording of an episode in front of a live studio in audience. In front of a studio live audience. audience.
2: And can yeah. we also say that it's being videotaped and and it's going to be simultaneously released as the Being in the World podcast it as well? It is
0: being videotaped oh, by Tao excellent, a filmmaker. Excellent. And existential phenomenologist. And it's also going to be wow. released as part of the Being in the World podcast. Yeah. So just depth and synchronicity is busting out all over. <laughs> and this, I think, is going to be more of a roundtable discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I first it's gonna be we're gonna talk a bunch and then there'll be question and answers But I think that would be a waste of all the
1: all the brain power. resources yeah. of death yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: not just brain power but heart power, right and exactly. and, and, and spirit
1: power ah, which gets to power. our topic exactly yes. right Yes, so faith faith. Good okay. Or bad. Well, and what is it? Yeah? Well, what is it? What's faith belief maybe is it the same as belief We have a few experts on that subject. Does it mean believing something? Some people think faith is bad because it's belief, but it's irrational belief because it lacks evidence. It lacks justification. So it's dogmatic, irrational belief. That's faith. That's religious faith. And it's bad. And we'd be better off without it.
0: Right. And and it also seems like (laughs) judging by how people behave on Twitter and the kind of books get published – there's a lot of people who are angry about this topic, yeah. either pro or con. They're right. either angry that people don't have enough faith or they're <laughs> angry <coughs> yeah. that people have too much faith. Um, yeah. And
1: there were religious wars a long time before Twitter. Right,
0: right. Yeah. That's yeah. true. That's true. So it seems to get people worked up. It, does, it has a um, history of that. It seems yeah. to get yeah. people worked up. Um, so what is it? It's an infinite commitment to the finite. Is it? <laughs> That's pretty much it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Good, Good or okay. bad? you <laughs>
1: concur?
3: Okay. okay.
0: So here's here's an. Interesting so here's a reason tactic. why that would be bad. If yeah. you're if you're infinitely committed to like. Um, yeah, a, a rose, yeah. right? Yeah. And and the rose goes. Uh-huh. Um, then then you'll your life will be very sad, right? Because yeah, you'll have right. infinitely committed to this rose, you'll and be, it's gone. Now. You'll be
1: guaranteed to lose. You'll be end, guaranteed. guaranteed to lose. So right. that would
0: be an anti faith right okay I, so, I i as a joke i said that really quickly but what on earth, okay. what on earth does that mean an infinite commitment to the finite oh
1: well let, let me let me back up let's one back second nine steps let's back up nine let's back up in history and etymology and word use so the word in ancient greek which is in the new testament and even in Greek classical philosophy sometimes, uh, which means faith or belief, is uh, pistis. Mm. And arguably that didn't mean belief like what philosophers talk about, I believe that the cup is on the table kind of belief, or I believe that the you know, atomic number of gold is, what is it, 79? But faith, it, pistis, faith, belief, uh, meant something more like trust, or loyalty, or devotion. It's, a, it's an attitude of the heart, like you were saying before. You'll notice that on the quarter... Uh, it says, in God we trust. And trust is still the kind of idea there about what a religious faith means. And uh, Luther thought faith was trust. Kierkegaard, I think, thought it was trust. And uh, that's what's going on in the New Testament, I think. Uh, trust. At some Yeah, trust. Tr- trust in God. Trust. Uh, you have faith. And we still talk this way. I've got faith in somebody. I, b- I believe in you. You can even use the word believe in that case, right? I believe in you and then to be faithful or loyal to you is to be a good friend a lot of traditional faith was something more like that rather than something epistemic or cognitive okay
0: so let me ask you something yeah. um what do you think of this first approximation trust is very dangerous yeah cuz you could trust someone who would rip you off or hurt your feelings yeah but the danger of not trusting anybody is worse cuz you live a miserable life of paranoia so could be. so it's an unfortunate feature <laughs> it's an yeah. unfortunate feature of human life. Is it that, ah. that you have a choice between either trusting people and then you could get your heart broken. Yeah. But the alternative is never trusting anybody and that sucks. That
1: may be more risky. Might be more risky. Yeah. One
0: thought that occurred to me just before
1: we started was uh, you know, when asked about whether power or disciplinary power was bad, Michel Foucault said it's not bad, it's dangerous. Mm. And I'm sorta of tempted to say maybe faith isn't good, it's dangerous. I mean, which is to say that calling it good may be an understatement, mm-hmm. as if that's putting a value on it. Mm. Uh, if it's just like, yeah, it's good. A lot of things are good, and the one thing that's got more of this good stuff than anything else is faith. And so that's yeah. what I'm going to go for because I've made the calculation. I've made the judgment. Um, I think there's something right about that because if it's like love, then I think the things you really love, you, they're invaluable. You don't put any value on them, not just a hundred percent or sort of you know, it's not just pegging the meter. It's that to put a value on the thing you really love is already it's not to do justice to your love for it. So it surpasses value. It's beautiful. And uh, I like that. Thank you. Right. I like that. Yeah.
0: Okay. Good. All right. Thanks, Eric. Okay. Well, I was pretty short. <laughs> I love I you, know. man. I love you too. Okay. That, that was a short, a short one.
1: <laughs> well, I didn't mean to sort of get us I didn't mean to get us right to the finish line. No. So uh, so um yeah, I mean well so let's let's then try and get to like what is this thing that maybe right. is dangerous. Yeah whenever it and gets to emotionally vulnerable.
0: whenever it gets yeah. to emotionally vulnerable philosophers make a distinction. Exactly. So, so <laughs> me, <so laughs> Let me a retreat a, into make my a shell. Make a yes. Distinction. Um
1: well here's a worry about uh, what we're even talking about like what kinds of things you went to go back to your rose case like mm. could i have this infinite commitment that surpasseth the good? It to All tennis. Right,
0: uh, uh, hang hang yeah. on a second, hang on second. <laughs> What? what I, I said it, but I kind of said it quickly because yeah. I wanted to be funny. I wanted yeah. to get a laugh, I confess. What is an infinite commitment? What does that mean? How can a finite being yeah. make an infinite commitment? I mean, I can make a commitment for what I think my lifespan will be. But can I make an infinite commitment? Well, really? it, right.
1: Infinite may also be an understatement because you might an think— Infinite
0: is an understatement? <laughs> yeah, right. Because okay. If it's, okay, I want to hear about
1: this. Because okay, if it's a quantity, it's merely quantitative, right? Mm. So you might say, what when Kierkegaard talks this way, for example, that maybe what he meant was unconditional— like this is an unconditional commitment, and there's lots uh-huh. of commitments that can be unconditional, or we can undertake them that example. way. Well, I do think love relationships are in their best at their best have this unconditional quality. I think it maybe like if you it's were Hitler's mommy, see. yeah, if you were Hitler's mommy, <laughs> yeah,
0: would you withdraw your love for him because of the Holocaust?
1: Um, when after the Holocaust, presumably,
4: <laughs> or yeah. in
1: anticipation of it, or in the middle yeah, of the in the middle of <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. Robert Frost said that when asked about his love of his country, said, uh, I think every child, no matter what, deserves to have at least one person in the world who loves him or her no matter what. And I like that idea. So I wouldn't want to be Hitler's mom... No, nor but, would I. Uh, yeah, but for, I, I like for the so I, many reasons. But I like the kind of non-rational. You also should not want to be
0: Hitler's dog? Right. Ended up getting shot. But anyway,
1: don't you? yeah. Uh, so um, I like the kind of maybe unjustifiable idea that everybody deserves to have at least one person who loves them no matter what. So there are these, I think, very poignant cases of mothers of serial killers, yeah. murderers, yeah. where I really think it's not a bad thing that at least one person is on that person's side no matter what. Huh. I, th- I think what is fine. What
0: about this argument yeah. that yeah. if they had said, look, Ted, if you, <laughs> if you do this serial killing, I'm not going to love you anymore. Then maybe he wouldn't. Maybe, maybe it would be the right thing to say, but not to. Though, feel ugly, though in ugly. your heart, maybe you wouldn't okay, well, ever just sort have of hope that follow that through that on that serial threat. Serial killers don't listen to the podcast. Yeah, I mean parents don't. threaten all <laughs> kinds <laughs> of things. Their <laughs> mothers are bluffing. That's right. It's right. <laughs> yeah, it's complicated.
1: So I like Heck, that yeah. unconditional love. Commitment. So I think it's not that's infinite, a good model. Unconditional. Well, it, that may be what "infinite" means when somebody like Kierkegaard says it. I, I infinite or eternal. Yeah. Tell the audience who Kierkegaard was. Oh, Kierkegaard, yeah. sir, Kierkegaard uh, was a Danish philosopher of the early to middle nineteenth century who was maybe the father of existentialism, yeah. so called. If Pascal was the great great grandfather of existentialism, but Kierkegaard, even though the word didn't exist until the twentieth century, and he's famous for talking about the leap of faith. He said, through a kind of pseudonym character, that everybody in his day, in the 19th century, had been doing everything they could to make it easier to be Christian. And his mission in life, he decided, was going to be to make Christianity difficult again. Because uh-huh. it, okay. it, it better be difficult.
0: Right, um,
1: And he made it almost impossible. Why make it, <laughs> it difficult?
0: Why did he want it to be difficult?
1: So then it's meaningful. So you okay. can't just be Christian by going to church every Sunday and muttering a few prayers and hymns uh-huh. and being a good bourgeois citizen. Oh, no and really doesn't it doesn't sort of cost you much mm. and you can have all kinds of other commitments maybe that are trumping this one it's just mm. one more thing on your shelf and in your pocket uh, that you can have this is supposed to be something you stake your life on that matters again Did infinitely he he beyond everything else you could make an unconditional
0: else. commitment to like life itself You could, well,
1: again, the problem with that, Kierkegaard thought, is that life is finite, obviously, because you die. So, you know, I always tell my students that it's important to remember that Dante put a lot of pagans in this limbo area where they were going to live forever, I mean, their souls, in this place where there was no hope, but there's also kind of no despair. They were in this neutral place. There was absolutely no hope, so there was hell, from a Christian point of view. Yeah. But since they didn't have Christianity before them as a possibility, they didn't know what they were missing. I think
0: my dad sort of aspired to that. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think he yeah. aspired <laughs> to really.
0: state of no hope and no despair, uh-huh. and just sort of chill. I think the sort of Stoics and the Epicureans, yeah, all this stoic. Ataraxia, ataraxia,
1: apatheia yeah. sort of stuff, it's like the best you can be is in this neutral. Well, you don't yeah. think
0: that's the best you can be, do you, Tyler? I do not. Okay, what, can, what, 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 what else is in the great buffet? Well, what yeah. I
1: like about the infinite story, the eternal story, oh. is that, yeah, well, let, let me put it this way. I think it's, I feel this is a great temptation, uh-huh. which is risky. To think that there's more than just did you get through life unscathed and safe, right? So that Spiritless. you can be, yeah, exactly yeah. right. There's more to it, what, what more something to it something more there? at stake. Like what is it? like there's if not literally a last judgment, there's an assessment that you can somehow have about your whole life from a point of view of eternity. What like was it all pointless, or was yeah. it all for something, or was it all you could affirm it, or you, like, ah, oh, this is very sad story that Tom, um, not Thomas Beckett, but Samuel Beckett mm. tells about... Sam- Samuel A. Beckett. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, exactly. Yes, that meddlesome priest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, meddle-
0: that meddlesome Irish priest.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Who I think he was talking about his father or his uncle, maybe his grandfather or uncle died. Somebody died, and he remembers his father saying, well, he got it over with. Uh huh. <laughs> that is such a Beckettian idea. Like, well, he he got it over with. That life is something you get through and you're over with it. And well, he, he famously yeah, said, that, somebody, "That's very depressing."
0: Somebody said to him, uh, "What a beautiful day!" <laughs>
1: what a beautiful day! Yes,
0: yes. It makes you happy to be alive. Yeah. And he said, "I won't go that far." Right. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. 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 That's Beckett. I think Beckett was echoing
1: a kind of Schopenhauer sort of yeah. In the end, I think despairing view that. Yeah, here's, here's the way I imagine it. And this is kind of fanciful because I don't really believe any of what I'm about to say. Right? From, a, from a cognitive point okay, of view, sure, sure, I don't sure. really believe this. Okay. but Everyone um, pay close attention. He doesn't really believe this. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. right? Go on. So here's what I think. I think that hmm. um, there's this worry that I've got, which, and it's a kind of a fear of death. It's part of what's involved in a fear of death, I think, right. which is that you live your finite life. And it's really kind of the blink of an eye or the sparrow through the mead hall. It comes in one door and goes out the other and that's it. And it's gone forever and forever and forever and forever. And there will be nothing you can ever do about it ever, ever again to have made it different. Yes. And the finality of that and the eternity of it is awesome. I mean, this not in the contemporary skateboard sense, but in the uh, chilling sense Mm -hmm. that everything is at stake about how you live your life because the stakes are eternal somehow. Hang on, at, I, missed, I missed that. Yeah, I missed that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it sounded to me like that meant nothing is at stake.
1: No, everything is. Be- well, the stakes are infinite because how you lived your life and how it all went will now be like in amber forever. Ah, okay, right. Settled. Right. There's no going back on it. Right. There's no revising it. There's another kind of view you might have within your life, which is that anything I do, I can undo it. There'll always be a little time to take right. things back. Any okay. commitment I make, I can take it back and I can keep sort of adjusting to make my life the best life right up until the end. Right. But at some point it's going to be all over. Uh, all something. gone. So,
0: you will lose everything. Is this is this are you alluding to the sort of the idea that um like if we heard that um you know all the nuclear powers on earth had gotten kind of grumpy and this was our last day on earth. Uh-huh that we would have a a certain attitude of seriousness to how we would spend our days. Well, maybe, hopefully. And are you saying that that is how we should approach our life anyway because the difference between one day and, I don't know, 18,000 days... Isn't that significant? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Like you have a right. finite amount of time, yeah. so make it
1: count. I mean, maybe. <clears throat> I don't think we would, should aspire to live in a state of terror and fear. Oh, no, no, right, no. Right. I, I don't but I see what you mean. To. Yeah, I yeah. Um, here's. But this reminds me of why I don't ever really understand what people are talking about when they talk about literal immortality of the soul or the body or whatever. Because mm. what I think is, what difference could it make? Well, you know, uh, because how the eventually,
0: number three is eternal. Oh yeah. Well, you'd be like that. Wait, go on. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, (laughs) Joe. It's just a joke. It's just a joke. joke. Anyway, go on. He was was making a mature point, and I I made a stupid joke. Go go, go (laughs) on.
1: Okay, so so what I, like I say, I don't believe what I'm saying because what I really think, you know, cognitively, I'm like an Epicurean. I think I'm going to be gone, and that's it, and it won't be any worse than before I was born. Right. Right? But... There's this other part of me which feels the sort of impulse to think, after all, I will be non-existent forever and ever and ever and ever, and my life will remain exactly what it was forever and ever and ever, which means how I live it is going to be... It's hard even to put this into words because, like I say, I don't literally believe it, but what I have, I think I have a kind of faith in the idea that it matters... Infinitely. Okay. How I live it.
0: You know? Okay. So I'm not, I'm not saying I live so up to that faith in, guess, my, in how I behave. But so uh, here's I guess the question. Yeah. I I want, to, I want to open it up because, like, Good. as I mentioned earlier. We have like a murderer's row, <laughs> yes, of existential <laughs> phenomenologists yes, here, right in before good. us, right like before us, <laughs> like a kind of seven samurai. Although I think there may be about fifteen people in the room, 15, like a fifteen uh, samurai, samurai. Yeah. with swords sharpened to the, that's true. to the level of being able to cut an eyelash. That's true. Here, with how about us. if we take a little break? Let's do it, and we'll be right then back. We'll open up the, we'll we'll open up up the discussion, discussion. and I think the discussion good. will be. Is looking at your life as if it matters so much good? Because maybe that's, that's what right. faith is. Maybe
1: it just produces some kind of neurotic maybe misery. Maybe faith
0: is the belief that your life matters. That's right. Okay, we'll be right back. Okay. All
1: right. We are back with our what did you call it, Murderer's Row?
3: A Murderer's
0: <laughs> Row.
1: Of of existential phenomenologists.
0: Of, of fighters
1: skilled yeah.
0: in the existential arts,
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and we are talking about whether faith is good, and, uh, I mean, what is it, and is it good? Is it, as I was tentatively suggesting, beyond the good, which I'm not even sure I know what that
0: means. So, th- we'll so see. I, and yeah. this is one thing I want to say to the audience, is that... Beyond the measurable good, ma- maybe I should many say. Many of the people here are used to a sort of martial approach to philosophy, where everything they say, they have to defend it against yeah. people. And you can just put that out of your Don't mind worry right away. Don't worry about Just say this. I want this to be a heart-opening exercise. Yeah. And just say it. We're all friends here. We all love each other. Is, just say it. Is
1: heart-opening <laughs> incompatible with mind-sharpening?
0: No. Good. Next question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs>
1: Anybody, no wanna wanna, speak up? anybody anybody
0: wanna,
3: wanna speak up on this subject? Anyone wanna weigh in on about, faith?
0: Is it good? What is it?
3: Can I say something? Absolutely. So yeah. it seems like the idea of a something that matters more than you can put in terms of values, like an unquantifiable quality, that's mm-hmm. for me one of the crucial things. Who are you, first of all? Ian Thompson. I know who you are, but who Professor you like? here at the University of New Mexico in okay. Albuquerque. That there's something that you would not ever sell, right? There's mm. something that there's, you can't translate into any other language. It's not that you'd bet mm-hmm. any, anything else on it because it's sort of the foundation of what matters in your life. So, mm-hmm. this idea of like these qualities that can't be quantified, mm-hmm. right? There may be more than one,
0: mm-hmm.
3: right? But these are sort of like the foundation stones around which you build a life. Yeah. And, it but seem,
0: yeah. and may, are you suggesting that maybe faith is what we need? To stand up to capitalism. Because otherwise we want to sell everything, how much is it worth? And this is a way to like say this far and no further, Mr. Capitalist.
3: In my in my view, capitalism is symptomatic of a deeper problem. Okay, what's that problem? Which is that today we tend to understand all reality as nothing but quantifiable forces. Uh, and so we can't make sense of the idea of a quality that can't be quantified. Mm-hmm. That just seems like mm-hmm. mystical talk.
5: But you can't monetize it.
3: It's unmonetizable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although smart people s- seem to figure out ways to sell off pieces of it and make a lot yeah. of money. <laughs> so what
0: do you, what do you all think about Professor Ian's intervention here that that uh, what we're really dealing with is the Faith is the statement that there's something that can't be bought or sold. Are you down with that?
3: I don't know if I define faith Oh, you say way, it. You I say it your that's way. like what the good beyond good that Taylor was talking about is. The so, good beyond good. I like yeah. that. Can we ask Mark? Because he... Just Mark kidding. Rathall,
2: one of my best and oldest friends. Uh, I've been trying to get him on the podcast for... <laughs> For years, and, and the objection was that you wouldn't have had time to prepare. You'd be thinking off the cuff. But since you just gave a talk on this exact topic, you don't have this excuse. Um,
6: <laughs> this is, this <laughs> like literally a, half an hour ago. such a trap.
2: <laughs> a burrow. It's a burrow, not a trap. <laughs> so, uh, why don't you ask the question?
0: So, my question is... Is Ian's reformulation of is faith good as is there something that goes beyond buying and selling? Is that a good reformulation of the question of what is faith and what
6: good is faith? Uh, I don't know that i jump all the way there quite yet. How far but, would you jump? But Well, let's let's call what Ian's talking about the absolute. Okay. Trans- translated back into Kierkegaard. Mm-hmm. So... Um, then maybe you could ask the question, is a life that you live committed to the idea of an absolute a good? Mm. Is it worth living a life? Or, or is a life with the absolute in it better than a life without the That's absolute? That's a great question. Nice, yeah. mm-hmm. What's, the
0: yes. <laughs> What's the answer? say
6: yes. What's the answer? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> and what, why? Why is it better? I think the absolute is a foundation of a of a sort of meaning Mm -hmm. uh, which is absolute. Okay. So does
0: anybody else... It's
3: indissolvable. Can't be quantified. Can't be be expressed in terms of anything else. Okay.
0: Okay. So the the professor... I think you're right that it's
6: dangerous as well.
0: It's dangerous. Mm. More or less dangerous than a life where nothing is absolute. Like everything is like, I don't know, maybe that, maybe this, maybe that, maybe this. Yeah. That's more
6: dangerous or less dangerous? Well, the reason I I hesitated is I think that that a life with an absolute can also be a horrible life. Right. And and so I I don't think you can absolutely say that just living a life that is responsive to an absolute or, or uh, seeking the absolute is necessarily a, a good thing. But let me put it this way. Is it like playing the lottery that you're
0: sort of like in our society, you could just go and work at CVS and you'll never have a chance of winning the lottery if you never played the lottery. But if you do play the lottery, then you have a chance of winning big. Are, are you saying that like having faith is in the absolute is sort of like playing the lottery, like you're willing to make a big bet? And of course, you could lose it.
6: Yes, well, sort of. So so Taylor's, Taylor's idea that this life is all we've got, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you're staking that yes. uh, in the hopes of an absolute. Right when maybe you could be simply avoiding misery or, or filling your life with transient pleasures. right? So
3: there's a lot at stake. You're putting all your chips in on one number, yeah. or a couple right. numbers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not hedging your bets. Yeah, It's right. all in. Yeah, yeah it reminds You're
0: me, all in. the founder of Sikhism, Guru Nanak said, um, the kings and emperors who have piles of money have less than an ant who loves God. Hmm. Um, so so are, are you saying that um you want you want to take that risk <laughs> what what he hadn't and he loves God. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't have one. Uh,
1: an objection from a philosopher. He didn't, he didn't have one. He Tell said, me more about this ant.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Insect, not right. Yeah.
0: No, no. Oh, yeah. No, the <laughs> infinite after, yeah. I, 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 I but even did. but
1: even that way of putting it is an understatement because it sounds like a comparison of one measure to another measurable, and there's a difference between a kind of mathematically infinite measure and something immeasurable. Uh, But this raises a question in my mind, which is there's all kinds of things that have qualitative value rather than quantitative value, but which don't have the sort of supremacy of something worthy of faith or a Mm -hmm. life commitment. Like there's some things I just love so much that I can't put a price on them. Things like little things of sentimental value, we say, photograph of a loved one or something like that. But I wouldn't, turn this into a religion, certainly. I mean, uh, it's qualitative. So it seems like it's got to have immeasurable or qualitative value, but it has to have some kind of supremacy, uh, even supremacy. if it's not numerical or right. measurable or something like that. In other words, I think one way to put it would be to say somehow your whole life is organized around it,
3: right? Uh, it plays a role in your life where you spend your whole life unfolding what it means to you. Yeah, that right. And that process gives your life a kind of a unity. Yeah. So you get a kind of that eternal perspective, but within time where you're seeing your life yeah. unfold in relation to what you're, the meaning of something you're mm-hmm.
0: trying to mm-hmm. unfold mm-hmm. yourself. Right. Yeah.
3: So why do you want your life
0: to be organized?
3: Why do I want it to make sense?
0: Yeah. I just Couldn't you just enjoy it? I do. And, but you also are, are you sort of <laughs> like, would you rather have a more joyful life that makes less sense or a less joyful mm. life that makes more sense.
3: A more mm. joyful life that makes You'd rather, okay, sense. so, so oh, maybe really? this organize yeah. oh, your life thing is like going to fall out if in if the water. You could pull the rug out from under me and I could wake up schizophrenic on the street filled with joy or something, but... I don't no, know. no, 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 that, no,
1: I mean yeah. that. No, no, I'm just thinking that sounds a little bit more, I don't know if, like, you might call it Epicurean. Like Nietzsche mm. sometimes said he was depends an Epicurean. joy, depends on what you mean by joy? I think I would have given the opposite answer. I think I would prefer a less... What do I—it do? depends on what you mean by okay. meaning too. Yeah, I mean, oh, what it's really else hard does it choice. depend on? Um, well, like, what kind of meaning are we talking about?
0: Depends on what you mean yeah. by joy. It depends on what you mean by meaning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's all it depends what do you mean on. What well, you is <laughs> actually the one. The most the <laughs> yes. Okay. Here's right. what I—having I, I, an
2: identity of, the, of a you that follows that. that I want to. I want to so like, open like, up. The, like, somebody,
0: like, somebody else talk. Yeah. Somebody yeah. So who so do
2: we have any faith haters in the room?
1: Talking. It's hard to say
0: that. we're. Yeah. I have a question for Professor Patricia Benner. What do you think?
1: What
7: do I think?
0: Yeah. I think- Very specific question.
2: Yes.
6: Um,
7: Well, I, I think it's important to have both meaning and joy, and that the two are very compatible. I think you don't know how to really be in the world if you don't have anything that matters to you, if your life is meaningless. And so I think it's important to have uh, things that you care about deeply and you live up to that care and that you get better at it somehow.
0: You're a professor of nursing and and the philosophy of nursing. Do you deal with people at the end of their lives? Yes, often. Often. So what can you tell us from that, not the other shore, but sort of like the when the other shore is within sight? What can you what have you learned that? is a good way to approach life so that when you're at the end of it, it seems like it was all worth something. <laughs> well, the
7: amazing thing I've found with people who are dying is that they continue to live until they die. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And that it isn't this big saga that they, I mean, they continue to do what they know how to do by being committed. I remember one um, of. Uh, a student nurse told me about this man who said ask her if she would wrap seven presents for the people that he loved the most and she felt like she couldn't honestly say that she was altruistic and so she wrapped these seven presents she didn't want to brag about generosity or altruism so i called her into my office and i said look anyone off the street would comply with such a request it's so meaningful and so deep why do you dim- dismiss it and so we had a that was the beginning of a really important question because another nurse educator has told we are not altruistic mm-hmm. that's a that's a myth mm-hmm. and she found out you know with continued conversation she in fact was
8: altruistic
7: and that was a, a really important discovery
0: so do you think that people live their lives in some sense better if they have faith?
7: I think so. How but come? Because it takes courage um, to uh, be thrown into a future where you know not you don't know what's going to happen. So to have some uh, s- meanings and 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 faith and community where you shore one another up, where you have the capacity to be involved in living in ways that your life is meaningful. I think that's the essence of faith.
0: But what do you think about the worry? And I'll channel it. I don't it's not really my worry all the time. Sometimes it is, mm-hmm. which is like you might you might have faith in something something
7: dumb. Oh well, see, that's that is that is the risk of being human. You right. will make mistakes. Yeah, we do. You will do dumb
1: things.
0: Yeah.
7: The only hope you
1: have is to learn from that. Okay. Okay. I was thinking, you know, the the dilemma you posed—joy versus meaning—I wanted to say something a little bit like what you were saying, which is that you can't really disentangle them, like what? Because that's why I stopped short giving an answer because I started thinking, well, meaning produces a kind of joy. And joy maybe generates its own kind of meaning. Mm-hmm. So, the reason I would be happy to live a meaningful life is because I think there would be some kind of joy in it, even if there was a lot of unhappiness. You know, um, Father Zosima in the Brothers Karamazov says something like um, with age and with time, you know, deep unhappiness can sort of turn into a quiet joy. Mm. So oh, even yeah. kind and of, vice versa? Um, <laughs> I guess yeah. yeah.
6: Um,
1: in principle, so cool. in other words, I, it kind of is a false dilemma. Maybe at least enough that you don't. You're probably never going to be in a position of having to actually make that either or choice, right? Because uh, so, they're so, intertwined. So somehow. I feel
0: I feel very much like a wandering sheep because I I could have been like I was studying to be a philosopher and I ended up becoming a TV writer. Yeah. So now I feel like this is my chance to Yeah. to like get the real answers oh. which which I didn't get. <laughs> Go for uh, it. <laughs> so this all sounds great. And I'm wondering, why do people have such a hard time? Like if it's like you feel better <clears throat> if you have faith and joy and meaning are inextricably linked.
1: I see, why not why, do it?
0: Why why doesn't everybody do it? <laughs> what what what's the problem? Yes. Uh, Can you identify yourself?
1: Yeah, my
8: name is Kate Kirkpatrick, and I'm a philosopher uh, working in Oxford. And I've been thinking in this conversation about joy, about Simone Weil, Mm. um, who says that perfect joy excludes even the very feeling of joy. For in Mm. the soul filled by the object, no corner is left for saying I. Mm. And this reminded me of something that uh, Iris Murdoch took from Weil, which is the idea that we have this ecological orientation to center our worlds around ourselves. And I think that one thing faith can do is reorient us in, in, outwards. Um, and so I think I'd like to ask what this joy is and whether in seeking it, mm. we, to, to contribute to this d- discussion about whether meaning mm. and joy are separable,
0: mm.
8: um, whether that's part of the way we get reorganized in can the I, life of faith. Well, wait, 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 let can me, me ask a
0: question. Right Qu- uh, let me ask a quick question, which is like, Aww. so the, is, is the goal to be something like a wave? Because the wave has no ego. Like is is Simone Weil saying she'd like to be like one of these aspects of nature that has no ego, like a wave or a or a, a, a rainstorm or something?
8: So I think people find her very alienating because on some ways of reading what she's saying, um, you should disappear completely. Like you should be dead. You should. Well, she says you should be decreated.
0: You, so she would ultimately... <laughs> a nice way of putting it. So yeah, she'd yeah. ultimately like to be dead? Is that is that what she's pitching
8: here? Well, some some people interpret her as having this kind of uh, platonic conception of understanding where the, the philosophy is not the love of wisdom, it's the love of death. Cool. So you can read her in so this metal. kind That's really of death-drive way. Yeah,
1: okay. Uh, but do you read her that I way? I
8: don't read her in that death-drive way. Okay, drive how do you way? read her? She's, a, she's a, a philosopher who uses contradictions. Good. Um, mm-hmm. Because she thinks that Life is contradictory. She's right, and that um, that we have this temptation not, right. towards life affirmation, <laughs> but we also have a temptation towards uh, saying no to life. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure she always got the balance right mm. uh, in her own life. Mm. Uh, but I think that the challenge she poses, which was taken up by Iris Murdoch, is the idea that there's some asp- there's some component of decentering, mm-hmm. which is central to the life of faith, uh, and involves a reorientation to the world in which what we might call the mm. ecological concerns are decentered.
1: Well, that might be something like what Dostoevsky says when he had Zosima say quiet joy. Hmm. You know, I like that expression, quiet joy, because it could be kind of like, well, it's, I don't know if there's something wrong with it, but there's this different kind of joy where it's this maybe deep background sense of like everything's okay. So when I think of like what the consolation of faith might feel like, it's not, Intentionally directed at an object state of affairs. It's not hope for something or optimism, but it's kind of the sense that everything's okay and everything's gonna be okay. When people say everything's gonna be okay, I think they're offering you a kind of solace or comfort that's faith like. It's just like, no matter how bad things seem,
2: everything's going to be all
1: right. Isn't, right, what, pathos.
2: isn't yeah. what Kate is attributing to way the opposite of what Kierkegaard was saying in the sense that he was saying you actually needed faith to have a self and that people are running around without a self and until they, yeah. can K- you talk oh. about the relationship Can you
1: between... answer that? Oh, that sounds yeah, you cool. Can that question. But Kierkegaard does talk a lot about it as if it's uh, faith, Christian faith should be something like the achievement of a kind of selfhood. Yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. So yeah, there. That's a, so what do you that, say about that? That's a really interesting okay. question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, so, but I,
8: interesting. Do you think that Kierkegaard's conception of selfhood mm. means being at the center of your perception of the world?
2: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Mark, probably. might you have something to say about this?
6: Uh... No, <laughs> no, you don't have to no, no, that's my answer to the question though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes,
2: no. yes, and, and yes who are you? It yes, can be something big.
9: Okay. I'm, I'm Caitlin Creasy at uh, Cal State San Bernardino. I'm cool. a philosophy professor there. Cool, 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 cool. Um, I think the discussion that we've been having so far about faith, like the thing that we're talking about isn't going to sound to the typical person like what we mean by faith, right? It sounds a lot more what we like what we mean by um devotion. Yeah. And so maybe we can just complicate the picture a little bit here. Um
0: Yeah, I wonder I if the word for it to is to bhakti. That. Right, B? It's bhakti, isn't it?
4: Uh I couldn't tell you, but. <laughs> okay. but then
9: also, um, so even so if we're going to think of faith as this sort of um devotional attitude, yeah. I wonder we've been telling a very nice story about uh this kind of attitude and how great it can be for our life and i wonder if anything's lost
0: huh. well the ego is lost according to kate right like <laughs> like you're losing yourself in no, no. your infinite but, devotion it's, the, the, fat is that that
8: it's the fat relentless ego it's the ego that the puts fat, it, that's what iris murdoch calls it <laughs> oh, the fat, kate relentless ego, okay. right. which is which is which puts itself at the center of the world not the perspective on the world because
0: now why did bad, she though. want to get rid of her fat relentless ego what was yeah. her beef with her fat relentless ego
8: It stopped her from attending to the world properly. She wanted to improve her moral vision.
0: She wanted a better moral vision. Mm -hmm. Why? Why? Yeah. Um, Why would anyone want a better moral vision? Like you just need moral eyeglasses or something? Like what good is a better moral vision?
9: to be a better
0: person. So she wanted to be a better person. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, but seriously, I'm I mean, sorry. we've been
9: talking about how um, devotion plays all these positive functions or we were I saying see. it was faith maybe and maybe yeah. they're the same and maybe they're not uh-huh. and I don't have to distinguish between them but maybe you guys can or give... Well, more.
1: if nobody else says it, why don't I, why don't I offer this? I think the, what makes faith dangerous is that it can easily turn into fanaticism. That's right. right? Yeah. And fanaticism is not great, I would say. Uh, uh, so, I now I think... But you
3: know, it's so bad it sours us on
1: faith. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, what's the tipping point? I think one way to try to draw the distinction is in terms of, again, cognitive belief or doctrine. A lot of fanatics are committed to some idea or thought, and they will risk everything for it. But it's kind of okay, madness because so it's
0: irrational. We had a great but conversation with, hard to know. with Mark Rathall of Oxford University, existentialist, phenomenologist, yeah. uh, about orthodoxy versus orthopraxy. Yeah. And and one thing, and I, I've always been an orthopraxy guy. I've well, always what does
2: orthopraxy mean?
0: What is orthopraxy means? Orthopraxy <laughs> is a religion like Judaism, and I've since learned Mormonism, where it's more important how you act mm-hmm. than what you think.
1: And, and ancient paganism was like this. Ancient
0: thing. paganism. Yeah. But I got scared. Like, I was like, yeah, yeah, orthopraxy. I'm an orthopraxy guy. But I got scared. That maybe orthopraxy can be every bit as intolerant and abusive as orthodoxy because they're like... Yeah, you know you're eating you're eating uh, a dish that there was pork in last week. Yeah, get out of town. Right. Yeah, you're a bad person. So I'm I'm a little worried about that.
1: I think, as a historical or matter of fact, it's the orthodox religion, especially Christianity, that has the monopoly on strict intolerance. But okay. it's but um and and there's a lot of violence in all these. So does does faith
0: have a monopoly on violence, or are people just a violent bunch of of predatory apes? I
1: I think there's plenty of violence to go around, spread around all kinds of religious traditions. But I do think uh, that there's a certain kind of intolerance and potential violence that comes with the uniformity of doctrine and the consistency of doctrine. Uh,
0: I want to hear what Patricia uh, Benner has to say about that. do Do you think that faith makes people more violent?
7: No, I don't. I think it's a way of dwelling and being involved in the world with the view of goodness is good. It's not Mm -hmm. just moralism. It tastes good. It feels good. It sounds good. Goodness is good. And Mm -hmm. it's a a life well lived in this kind of faith. It isn't a, a dictatorship. It's someone who has some humility and seeks the good. But have you encountered
0: anyone who needs to be told that goodness is good? Like, who are these people who, who don't know that goodness is good?
8: Oh, I, Don't you I, have to have faith that goodness is good?
0: Do yeah. you? It seems like it's just, it's, it's, it seems like an analytic proposition. Do you need <laughs> faith that two plus two equals four?
8: Well, so I suppose so, there's a sense in which it's tautological, right? but, but it could, the world could stop showing up to you as
0: good.
1: Oh. Yeah, and some people are devoted to it more than others. I do think there's a difference. You know, I was thinking, I was talking about this with Mark earlier, that as rationalistic and maybe intellectualized as Plato and Platonic philosophy is, when you think about what he was saying about the good, it looks like he was cultivating an attitude of loyalty, commitment, and he even uses erotic language to talk about your devotion to the good. So he's turned so on by the good. He is. Well, that's right. And Actually, St. Augustine, Augustine takes over this kind of um, rhetorical language, this kind of discourse about God. It's pretty hot stuff. Mm. I mean, he burns yeah. for him. He so yearns be, for him. And there's all this
0: love. So, don't be uptight. Yeah. Don't sim- be uptight. Be turned on by the good.
1: Yeah, So, uh, so in other words, it may be tautological that the good is the good, but even in Plato, you know, without Christianity, it looks like... You can have uh, this attitude of devotion and loyalty and love of the good. And there's plenty of people who don't seem to.
0: Is it just like um, some people, oh, maybe it's like this. Maybe people are afraid of being rejected by the good. And, oh. and they're sort of hanging back and they won't make oh. a pass. They've got a the crush good, on the good. they but they, got a curve, but they won't make a yeah, pass.
3: Yeah. Yeah, maybe. We're, we're, sorry, your, your point about don't be uptight, I think, is, was a joke maybe, but it was a really deep one because... Thanks, man. Yeah, no. It, I think the, the reason that people like me don't identify as religious or faithful is because in America, those terms are sort of hegemonically controlled by fundamentalists who sort of say my way or the highway and their way is very intolerant of... Yeah. Anyone who doesn't look like them, act like them. And in fact, half the time, the ones proclaiming the exclusionary views are really secretly, you know, want to exclude themselves and can't.
1: They've ruined it for everybody.
3: They've really tainted the very concept of faith. Why don't
0: you contest it? Why don't you say to your students, I'm a man of faith and I'm the right kind of man of faith. And and tempt them away from all these wicked fundamentalist creatures. Or, and I do you that do? on uh,
3: on patriotism and America. I think it's important not to let belief in America go over to the right wing. Mm-hmm. Completely. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. cool. No 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 so no. Mark. Uh, Mark, Mark uh,
6: Rathal, Oscar the University Come on. I think one thing that we humans are very good at is perverting and misappropriating every good thing. Okay. Um, and so that this is part of the riskiness of, of any committed form of life, right? is that it, it strays over into a kind of fanaticism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and part of the risk as well is the ambiguity of existence. So it's very hard to tell when you've strayed from the good in a way that perverts it and, and undermines the good that you were getting out of it. Uh, and that's going to be true of devotion as much as faith, as much as any other human good. Is that a rock-bottom fact? Like, why are we so perverse?
3: Yeah, good question.
0: Complicated. What's,
3: what's wrong with us? Well, it's hard to admit <laughs> that you're wrong. I mean, what's wrong with us? Introduce hard.
1: yourself. I'm Justin White from Brigham Young University, a philosophy professor. But it's hard to admit that you're wrong. So, like, faith, in a certain type of faith or devotion, you're committed to this thing, <clears> can be dangerous maybe because you can become inflexible also. So it's not just faith or devotion, but sort of an inflexibility, like a, closing yourself How off. flexible do you want to be? I don't know, it depends.
0: But it almost, <laughs> seems, like, a little older, right? it almost seems like older, right? It almost seems like commitment. Yeah. Commitment is inherently like co- a virtue like of inflexibility. But
1: also like an openness to learning from others in the world, right? So
0: Right. So like, would you be okay with just being a kind of um, like kind of blob? like not committed to anything and just learning right but maybe commitment is bad maybe you should just wake up every morning as a blob and learn how to live your blob life that day and then go to sleep sort of resolve back into blobhood and then you wake up again and you're like well what should i do today like that would be i'm trying to formulate like what the non-faith position is yeah Yeah.
9: i I do think i I kind of agree with you
0: i mean i I don't want
2: to be a blob yeah i love to be a blob
9: Not no, really, so I'll call it devotion instead of faith, because I'm still not sure this. we're talking about yeah. well, it. <laughs> I'll call it devotion instead of <laughs> Inflexibility is part of it, right? Um, you want to be maximally
0: flexible, like a blob.
9: Inflexibility is part of devotion, and I think mm-hmm. that can get at something that you potentially miss mm-hmm. um, if you remain devoted when somehow...
1: Nietzsche wanted to be a kind of, if not a blob, a blob. But sort of flexible... Like, he didn't want to have this kind of faith we've been talking about, right? What in did the, he want? In you the gay the science. Kind of
9: responsiveness, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, if you're too inflexible, if you're too devoted, you can um, become entrenched in ways that, that can be personally harmful. And, and what can, does like, it mean to be
0: harmed if you're a blob? Like, what are you worried about?
9: <laughs> I missed out on the blob. I'm sorry, I was thinking about this other issue that we're talking about right now. <laughs> so here's, what I, here's what I mean by
0: a blob. A blob is a massive protoplasm. It's pure potentiality. <laughs> pure flexibility. Uh-huh. It's pure flexibility. It doesn't even have a skeleton. I mean, and this was a bad blob, but in the movie John Carpenter's The Thing, it could just become anything. Mm. I don't think
9: blobs of that sort really exist. Like I don't no, think they're No, 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 they don't. Like that, first of all, no, they're yeah. very you have to Live as the person you are, and okay. the world is always going to push back. But well, we you'd like there to there be, be blobier. Does it even count as a
0: thing?
9: I don't know it's, if I want. to In be
0: fact, blob-er. it's called The Thing. Um. <laughs> it just not name. only does it isn't it not only are you wrong but it's, <laughs> name, <isn't> it? <laughs> what
3: about? it's life itself
9: <laughs> what about an instance where um your life might call it for like a new devotion
3: uh-huh. right? right your devotion yeah.
9: to some other thing might right. preclude this new devotion that might be i don't know better for you in certain ways i'm not sure in which yeah. way is maybe more i don't know it helped you live Aspirationally, well, in the way that well, you'd like, could, or whatever. This could happen,
0: is. and and maybe this has happened to some of our um, listeners, which is you could fall in love with somebody, and devote yourself to them forever, and then all they want to do is stay home and smoke pot and play video games, and then that's kind of cool for a week, <laughs> six months, but after a couple of years, you're like, I want to take my infinite commitment back. This, <laughs> this is not, this is not Disney. working out yeah. for yeah. me. <laughs> yeah.
5: So, yeah. <laughs> I want to throw something yeah. out. Is it possible for anybody to exist without faith? Oh. Um. Because the thing is, what we've all been talking about is faith as a a sort of a, a guiding, ordering function. Mm-hmm. Like, a, this is what, mm-hmm. this is how you believe the world works. This is how you understand your, your place in it. And... It can't just be a matter of, of strict cognitive beliefs no. because there's too much uncertainty mm-hmm. for any cognitive belief to, to, to get it all. Right. And so, like, I've been thinking in my own, this conversation yep. is kind of a hot button topic to me because oh, I have a very complicated relationship with faith. What is it? Well, I was an extremely devout Christian okay. for the first 20 years of my life.
0: And how did, why did that get old?
5: It got old at the point where my moral imagination and my, my what it was underneath that faith in Christianity, what it was that was calling me forward, ran out of room in the evangelical, rather fundamentalist Christian faith that I oh, grew up Oh, this is practicing. so interesting.
0: What, what was the moment that you realized that— uh your faith was, it's like Meister Eckhart, that he prays to God to free him from God. Like, what was the moment that you realized that your faith was holding you back from, I don't know, a deeper faith? Is that what you wanna say? Wait,
5: what it was holding me back
0: from? But well, when did you realize it? I wanna hear, I wanna, yeah. I'm oh, very man, gossipy right now. She oh man, it rough. She was there. What happened? Uh, it,
5: w- it, was this, it was this rough period of Oh, my your mom
0: told you to cut it out? No, 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 no. No,
5: no. <laughs> no, my mom was trying to help me through and find a different way through it because it's not her fault that I grew up a fundamentalist. Just let me just let you know. <laughs> okay. okay, whose fault is it? I, uh, Yours,
0: yours, your mine. Friends. Cause yeah, I made the commitment. Yeah.
5: No, but um, I mean, you know, part of it was that I, I participated oh. in this Christian elementary school that was oh. educationally brilliant, oh, no. but also deeply fundamentalist. Okay. And-
1: And who sent you to that? Well, my my, my yeah. parents wait, did. Did I, rea- I want to know, <laughs> how <laughs> did you
5: realize? How did I realize? What yeah. it was, was it, it started in high school with the discomfort. Okay. With the idea that just because the people I love the most, yes. my friends, because right, I was a teenager, the most important people in the world are my friends, and and none of them. I, I grew up in Berkeley, so like literally, I was the only Christian I knew. Mm. And in high school, and my other Christian friend, who was kind of like my AA sponsor, uh-huh. <laughs> um, she lived down in Southern California, and we grew up in the same school together. She, you know, she had her wildlife, I had my wildlife, and then beautiful. yeah
1: how'd you keep your eyes on the prize
5: i've known her since since first grade and and a super important friendship and you know she went hard into rock and roll lifestyle and then the way she found her way out of it was through jesus jesus hardcore and her mom had a similar life story and 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 so there was this anchor for her there and I was recanting my weekend of nonsense and she's like, how can you call yourself a Christian and live the way that you do? And the concept of being a Christian was so integral to my sense of self and my sense of how I find the good Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm.
5: that I was like, Oh gosh, I got to change everything. I've got to, I've got to live to this commitment. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as I started doing that, I started rubbing up against this fact that the people I love the most will never come to you know or likely never Couldn't come to you that conclusion Jesus
0: to just oh, take him to his bosom <laughs> in, in in heaven like why was that on you
5: because also the 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 the, the religion i participated in and was was devoted to in other was i was putting all my cash in yeah sure um said that you know you it required a statement of faith it okay. required you had to mm-hmm. say it had it you had there's the chick there's the chick books and at the back of the chick book it tells you what to do the comics that say heavy metal will send you to hell like there's there's instructions you have to follow those instructions at bare minimum right and then you have to commit to living a lifestyle that is in relationship to that so how did you get out of this so it started with the breakdown of like i couldn't accept that the people i loved were going to hell because they couldn't say some creed and then i got into christian college yeah and I got to see you know there's that Kantian idea of like if is a thing moral if every like if you can imagine everybody doing mm. it, it's moral like mm. it's really cheap paraphrase but uh-huh. right and I got to see that I got to see what an entire community mm. of fundamentalist Christians who were you know trying right. to one up right. one another yeah. in righteousness mm. and and you know yeah. if you and then they have to have these big you know so that was a problem, but then also. Mm. I was really troubled by the idea that like, how is it that I have more compassion for people that don't hear or agree with this very narrow cultural practice? Mm-hmm. How do I have more compassion for them and want to include them in my world than the God that I was following?
0: Uh, so what's your name?
5: I'm John Benner.
0: Okay. So John Benner. Yes. Did You started off this, this great and, and, and really brave uh, uh, confession of your life by asking the question, does everybody have faith? Oh,
1: yeah.
5: Can, and, do, can anybody exist without? Can,
0: mm-hmm. anybody? Okay, well, they're mm-hmm. a little bit logically equivalent, yeah. like, because everybody exists, so. Well, <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. not everybody. Not everybody. <laughs> not everybody. Okay. We'll, we'll have a later spin-off. We're gonna talk to some people here who don't exist, but, but for the time <laughs> being. Those are the lucky ones, you, <laughs> you, you think, you believe that um to exist requires faith. So my question is, Did you get out of this rather um, judgy form of Evangelical Christianity through faith in some deeper conception of God or the world or?
5: You know, um, I did it piecemeal, patching Um, things together. Do you have faith now? I think I do. In what? I actually, I think, you know, I have, this is a tricky one to talk about. Mm -hmm. For me, the direction out um, came through the study, through studies of, of Eastern philosophy and just the humility, that is implied within the Tao Te Ching saying like, Hey, we don't know, we can't know.
0: Got it. Mm -hmm. You know?
5: And, and that, that core sense of like, okay, look, there's lots of things I can't know. Um, so what matters? What, what, you know, what, and it always came back to like, my faith became, my work with kids.
0: Got it, what mm. do you do with kids?
5: I was a preschool teacher for a lot of years, cool. and um, then I was a center director, and now I'm a children's Aikido instructor, and mm. the other part of it that really, really helped. Yeah, isn't
0: Jesus very into little kids?
5: Y- yeah, not like it's not
3: like you make it sound. Suffer the children. <laughs> <of them>. <laughs> you, <laughs> you went there, I didn't, yeah, yeah, I didn't go
9: there. Yeah. <laughs> Suffer,
1: like
3: Suffer like the little children, come on to, me.
9: to um, treating people compassionately. Like yes. that was your, you were very devoted to that. And then you got out of, and, I mean, that is just a f- read, but I don't know. Right. Well, and, and at
5: first I thought that the way to, to, to get to that good, I was, I was deeply devoted to trying to be good. Okay. Well, come back to the question
3: about yeah. whether you can live without faith.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah. Heidegger says somewhere late in a, maybe it's just an well, interview religious. somewhere. Yeah. That everybody has a religion. Yeah. I think it's hyperbolic, but no. there's something. Okay. It
3: means religion as we're all connected Religio connection. So we're all connected to something we don't understand. Oh. So he's, it's a polemic against like Marxist materialism where they're, they're like proud atheists. And he's saying even the Marxists have faith in this communist. Okay. Revolution. That's what I was
1: going to say. I think my – so what I would – the version I would prefer would be to say something like um, almost everybody or lots of people more than half or something like that <laughs> uh, do have something that you could call faith which is some kind of grounding commitment that makes sense of their lives and their other commitments. Yeah, even people who profess not to have a faith or religion or anything like that, if you look closely at their lives, there's something kind of central that's making it make sense that's, like you said earlier, talk about organizing, organizes a bunch of their other commitments.
0: But what about these fat ego people? Because <laughs> what could be organizing their commitments could be well, getting, their, getting so, theirs. So right? the other thing I wanted to
1: say about this is that another thing Kierkegaard says about faith is the, um, the opposite of faith is despair. Mm. And you could say of them, and maybe even whether they know it or not, because going back to the people in Dante's limbo in hell... They don't really know they're in despair, but they're in despair because they're living without hope.
0: And there could be, as Kierkegaard says... So the fat says, ego people are in despair, they just don't know it?
1: Well, it, maybe they do and maybe they don't, uh-huh. right? Misery. But that the misery. life without some kind of organizing commitment of devotion with maybe, and maybe we want to add something either very high stakes or eternal stakes, is going to be a life of some kind of despair. That's how I... Jeff Bezos, yeah,
3: yeah. Donald Trump, they're in misery. They're, they're in misers. misery. They, they really are. Misers. They're like the dragons sitting on the gold, all the Smout. virgins. They don't use any of it, yeah. right? So, but they want it all, and there's no amount of quantity that can uh, that can substitute for quality. So yeah. this is
0: this is again this is a group of people who've devoted their lives to helping their students live lives of depth and meaning. Mm. So, yeah. can you all, before we piece out, like if our listeners are worried about whether or not they're in despair? How can they figure out if they're in despair? And if they are in despair, what should they do?
4: I can go. Go. Um, introduce yourself first. My name's B. Roos. I'm a philosopher and a punk rocker based out of Oakland, California. And I'm the director of research for a company called Pluralistic Networks. Mm. I think that most people are in despair. Okay. And it's not their fault. It's the world that we live in, hmm. which doesn't provide... Could they get out of despair if they wanted to? Not just because you want to. No. Um and I remember this teaching um existentialism with Bert Dreyfus, who was most of our teacher. Yes. He would teach the existentialism in, in literature in a film class and talk all about unconditional commitment. And the students would say, Unconditional commitment, that sounds awesome. Where can I get one? <laughs> <laughs> the, <store? laughs> the unconditional commitment one? store. <laughs> uh, you you can get one by receiving one. And that's the that's the thing. You can't buy it, you can't go out and necessarily look for and we live in a world where finding one um is really difficult okay Um, well do you have any tips google yes my tip was um
9: extremely poor
4: mm -hmm. and even if you are extremely poor which i was growing up my faith has been in punk rock and my discourse here is that uh, punk rock itself is a kind of way of uh resisting or living in a midst of A world that refuses meaning. The punk rockers never needed anyone to tell them that this is a world that refuses meaning. No, they didn't. They needed to make a music scene and start a band and have their little place of gathering where you can Mm -hmm. be with each other and create something together and uh, have a sense of belonging and a sense of transcendence and a sense of redemption of the shittiness of everyday life. You can redeem it as long as you can be with your friends. In um, your music mm. scene, making a concert together and making a record together. Mm. Wow! Okay. Wow! Still nice. cool. does, does anyone
0: else want to contribute to this question of, like, yes. uh, if you're in despair, <laughs> how do you know it, and what can you do to get out of it?
3: Finding the beauty in the very worst thing is an aspirational idea. Are you trying oh. to do that? Yeah.
0: Do you do like a workout, like you you find a pretty <laughs> bad thing and try and find <laughs> beauty in it, like work up to it? Yeah. <laughs>
3: No, I just jumped right to the very worst. Good for you. All right.
0: (laughs) All right, shall we wind this
3: down? I think we should take out your instrument. Yeah. Oh, unless anyone has
0: any last licks. No No. last licks. Okay. Okay. Let's see. Let me... I'm going to edit out. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everybody. This is one of the best
2: terrifying questions it, it sure is it makes you, it makes and you, one you of blessed my being in the world
0: Faith it makes you blessed
2: if you're listening to this on terrifying questions check out being in the world and if you're listening to this on being in the world check out terrifying questions which is one of my favorite podcasts and it's Ber- really fun to have done this live thank
0: you Tal. with you guys thank yeah. you thank you everybody yeah. thanks everybody
6: yeah
2: i'm gonna tune up and
1: thank play you. our
0: outro theme yeah Like the one thing I know I don't want to do today is participate in a podcast. A there will be no record. Don't worry about that, Mark. Just sit down.
2: Did he really say that? No, no
0: not, not exactly. Not
2: a Three
5: cores.
9: I was trapped. You were actually trapped. This podcast is created by Eric Kaplan and Taylor Carmen.
1: This podcast is created by Eric Kaplan and Taylor Carman. It's edited by me, Taylor Carmen. produced by Amanda Eberhardt, and the cover art is the work of Tony Millionaire. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok as Terrifying Questions.